Hello, and welcome back to uh, your regularly scheduled programming here at the Fight Site with our MMA podcast. This is a weird week because it's just Srirum and I this week. How often do you <laughs> not? <laughs> we usually have a, a variety of guests coming and going on the show, uh, and this week we don't. It is just the two of us, which is fortunate because this week is actually a, a bit of a a bit of a weak one. Um, there's a really good main event on Saturday, but apart from that, there's not really anything that we want to bring up on the card. But we did have a a patron request from our friend uh, Dan DeMarco about the lightweight great uh or maybe just a pioneer i guess we'll see bj penn uh what his career legacy is where does he stand uh as Sarum and i were chatting a little bit before the show it's an interesting one because we don't usually spend a lot of time looking backwards in mma history usually most of the stuff we talk about is present or future uh and so that's That'll be an interesting one to kind of go back a few eras on the sport and see what we can find. But that is not our main priority. Our main priority is this weekend's main event. Again, it's a really good main event. I know Serum and I have been talking a lot about how fun it is when bantamweights and featherweights get main event slots. And this is a really good one. Marlon Marais versus Corey Sanhagen. They get five rounds. It's just awesome. Uh, A bantamweight fight. Pretty much any top 10 Bantamweights, you can put them together, and you know the clash will be awesome. Are you as excited as I am? Uh, yeah, I mean, as a fight, I think it's brilliant. As a, as a way to develop a young prospect, I think it's slightly, significantly less brilliant. Uh, but it's, it's a terrific fight. I mean, if, it is, if this was happening during Sandhagen's uh, win streak, like right after a Sao, I'd be nothing but excited for it. And even just like, you know, as a fight in terms of the dynamic of the fight, in terms of how their styles match up, it's just, it's one of the more interesting fights that I think you could even make in uh, in a division where pretty much every fight, other than like Cody Stamen versus Marab or something, every fight is going to be super fun. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's terrific. But you have some reservations about developing the prospects. Well, I think we should just start there. What do you, what do you mean, Sperm? This, I think this is kind of one of those bookings that kind of show the big problem with a young prospect getting a superb win that early in his career. Because, I mean, Rafael Sonsao is a great win, and Sanhagen won that very, very decisively. But now he's kind of stuck up in the tier of, you know, the elites, where Rafael Sonsao, like, he's the gatekeeper to the latest, and now Sanhagen is an elite trademark, copyright, whatever you want to call it. He is an elite. And I think... If I were booking Sandhagen at this point, it would be, okay, he lost to Aljamain Sterling. It was pretty much the best prospect loss anyone could ask for. Incredibly instructive and no damage whatsoever. Now you give him a step back again. You say, okay, this guy's four or five years into his career. He has some time to develop. Give him a Rob Font. Give him even a Jimmy Rivera. But now you're giving him a Marlon Moraes, which is a fight that could be just as instructive in terms of the striking, but significantly more damaging. And I think... For a prospect that's going to develop the way San, the way I expect Sandhagen to develop, it's kind of a rough fight back-to-back stretch. And it's one that I probably would have avoided at this stage, but um, that's not to say Sandhagen can't win it. It's just it's very reckless in a very UFC way. Yeah, that's the thing, is it can be argued if this is even much of a step back at all. Um, I mean, Marais did crush Sterling when he fought him. Um, I know Sterling's developed a lot since I don't mean to slide on Aljamain, but still, I mean, even if Marlon Morais is on the heels of two uglier fights in comparison to his sort of run of first-round finishes, he is still quite a dangerous threat if you are not defensively sound. Uh, or if you just don't really know how to, you know, you don't really have the the durability to to hang with him. He's a, I think Marlon Moraes is going to be a solid like a solid gatekeeper because you can look at several fighters who I think should be favored over him. Um, but you can also look at Marlon Moraes and say, well, just about every top ten fighter is going to at least have some trouble with Marlon Moraes. Um, no one's really beaten him cleanly since since his time in the UFC. Would you agree? 
Yeah, I mean, Henry Cejudo had to walk through a ton of punishment, and Rafael Asuncao pretty much never actually beat him. So, um, I mean, even if even if you can get Moraes fighting, like the kind of fight that he doesn't want to fight, the John Dodson type of fight, the Sansa one type of fight, it's like when you get him out of one round, he's still, despite the fact that he has like the average fight time of a very, very good heavyweight, he still has a very deep skill set that I think people can miss. He's going to be dangerous for a while, even when his athleticism wanes. And I think we kind of saw a bit of that against Jose Aldo. I mean, Aldo, if Aldo wasn't more durable than he should have been, cutting down to a weight where he looked like the Crypt Keeper, uh, he would have died with that first head kick. Because uh, a couple guys have. Sterling got head kicked with, like, the first one. Jimmy Rivera got destroyed by that first head kick. Sanhagen is up against it here. And I think that's the biggest problem I have is there are no easy fights at Bantamweight, but there are easier fights. I guess we should probably talk about the matchup itself. Um what do, you, what do you think about Corey Sanhagen? Because I I tend to think he's he's quite good. He's clearly talented. I think the Aljamain fight showed that he's not ready to be a champion yet. And that's okay. Like, you know, re- like maybe not even ready to be top five. Again, he's only a few years into his career. That's, that's okay. Um, he is a very, like... Corey Sanhagen is just a very MMA striker in just in, in every way. Uh, you can watch him and he's very, he seems very inspired because he's at elevation. I think like there's a lot of, there's a lot of Dillashaw in Sanhagen for better and for worse. Um, as a, just as a pure boxer, I don't think he's particularly defensively sound, but he's, Though he has a few moves, he has good eyes and exchanges. Um, he tends to leverage his initiative and his pace. Uh, and he really likes to keep that jab in people's faces to draw responses. Um, is kind of willing to take two to give one. It's a very, it just strikes me as a very young man style. Uh, he, he's a very, you know, he, he's a very excited there's, like I said, there's a lot of initiative in his style. I'm sort of struggling to pin down exactly who he is because I don't think he's particularly polished, but he's he's crafty. Um, but that does sort of mean that there's a lot of the same holes in his game. You know, you could also kind of point back to Dillashaw. There's a lot of the same problems there. Uh, there's a reliance on that sort of pace and initiative to overwhelm opponents um, as opposed to sort of gradually figuring them out. Um, and I think that you can also look to some to his resume where he's managed to fight aging Bantamweights who are maybe slightly lower on the pace end compared to him. Um, what do you what do you think of Corey? Because I, I, I sort of I'm not sure how I feel about him just yet. I like him a lot as a prospect. I think, as you mentioned, he's not quite the sort of, you know, certifiably elite type. Uh, But again, even for being where he is, he's like three or four years ahead of schedule in terms of, you know, just career trajectory. Like, I would not expect someone to be beating Rafael Asuncao at the point where he is, even an old Rafael Asuncao, especially in the way that Sanhagen beat him, which looked incredibly consistent and in a, like, it looked like he'd beat Hafila Sunsau barring a freak knockout every single time, which is something I can't say about a fight like Cody Garbrandt. So with that kind of win, I understand why Corey Sanhagen is being booked the way he is. And as a fighter, I think he's he's very, very good at... So one way that you mentioned in that Cejudo article is that he fights with a sort of brimming confidence, and I think that's the best way to put it, is that he's not like a confidence fighter in that if his confidence is taken away, he can like just fall apart. I don't think he's that kind of fighter because he's gotten hit hard a bunch of times, but his confidence just hasn't been broken at all yet, even against like massive hitters. And the way that he fights is he's deep enough offensively that he can throw anyone off on the counter. And he fights with such a pace that everyone is forced to fight on the counter. So 
like someone like Rafael Sunset, right, is always going to sit on the counter. And that's what makes Sanhagen such a tough fight for him, even on paper, is that you have someone who's going to sit back and look the counter punch. And you have a Sanhagen who's just constantly in your face, jabbing, feinting, doing weird things, and most importantly, making reads, because Sanhagen's a, he's a very tactically astute fighter in terms of certain exchanges. He was able to throw off Austin Sal's like little southpaw angling off counter, like within seconds. And then he did that with the same, like, Arkansas hitting him right off the hand fight. He beat him to that in the very next exchange that he tried it. So, St. Hagen, he's, most of all, he fights in a way that allows him to collect reads very quickly and exhaust his opponents very quickly. He puts a premium on, a premium on body work and just on keeping the pace up. And I think that's, as you mentioned, it's a very young man's style. And with that, he was even able to, like, get John Lineker to kind of back off a bit with just the amount of inputs that he was giving him. So, it's a replicable, very effective style, but I think... There are some places where it hasn't quite been tested. As I, as I mentioned, he hasn't really been forced to slow down yet. And it might be a bit harder if he can't just make guys react to him rather than, you know, him reacting to them. As you mentioned, he's not defensively that deep. And uh, guys can kind of just run him back to the fence. I think uh, Yuri Alcantara managed to do that. And Al- Alcantara is pretty fine. But uh, Sanhagen didn't look like a particularly good outfighter when a guy was able to just, you know, say, I don't want to react to you. You react to me. And the worry with Marlon Moraes, I think, is both the thing in exchanges and the kicking. So people haven't really kicked Sanhagen much yet, and uh, it might be a bit of a stereotype, but the way that you know he moves, the kind of loose, non-planted way that he walks around, I kind of have a hunch that he's not great at dealing with it. So um, this is a tough stylistic fight that I think might be offset by just youth and uh, confidence. I think he's a little bit like a young... He is a little bit... Like a young TJ Dillashaw, and I mean like a young TJ, because we went back and watched his fights with Barrow, um, and this there's a lot of the same kind of flow to his game. Um, he's usually not like he's not really building off his jab in the traditional way, um, but he'll you know he'll kind of throw it to annoy people engage distance and then he'll sort of throw what he sees and march opponents down and then back off a bit and reset um like he's the same kind of striker and so on one hand i think that that actually that kind of pace and willingness to just sort of stay in an opponent's face could be could be good against marlon marais because that is that's basically how henry cejudo beat him as he eventually just refused to go away but it also means that there's like the opportunities to counter him are great. He's not a very hard fighter to just just hit in exchanges. And it honestly it's similar to like Apollo Costa type thing. It might take a pretty brutal beating for him to learn some of the lessons about that style. I mean, and you know, in some sense, like Lineker was meant to be that lesson because. A lot of times, Sanhagen would just sort of stay in the pocket and try to exchange with Lineker, and Lineker would crack him really hard in return. And that is sort of that is kind of where Morais makes his his hay a lot of times. Um, you know, it's usually with God, like Morais will kind of sit down on a flurry of punches and hurt people or scare them off. The kicking is a really big one to me. The question is sort of like the thing with Morais is I'm just I sort of don't really know. How much longer Marais can keep doing this um because it would be like it would be sort of surprised he's pretty deep into his career and he might be slowing down a bit um I think the first round the series of first round finishes that he got was maybe something of a mask to, or kind of a band-aid over the fact that he really can't you know he can't fight at pace for for much longer um because there's, there's just eventually a point where he just gets too tired throwing kicks. Um, but still, like, is that really the way that you want to approach Marlon Marais? Do you really want to be, like, if, if you just go full bore, you run the risk of getting clacked early. I mean, this is actually one of the reasons why I said that I don't think Cejudo's game plan against Marais was that bad. I don't think he could have afforded to just gone straight at Marais from the get-go. I think he needed to wait until Marais had sort of expended some energy before he was actually able to to blitz in on him and sort of pin him between the pocket and the clinch. I don't know if I don't know if Corey's actually going to do that. He didn't really he didn't really wait very long to start walking down John Lineker. I don't know. And here here's a, here's another question. 
can Marice hit takedowns and potentially threaten the grappling against Corey Sanhagen? Because Marlon Marice is a really good grappler. And Corey Sanhagen's takedown defense is not that great. And he uses, you know, the way he sort of tries to scramble and, like, build up his base without scraping guys off his back or fighting hands. It got him choked out very quickly by Aljamain Sterling. And it also got him, like, got him almost choked out by uh, John Lineker, too. There was a point where Lineker kind of had his back and pushed him along the fence. And then... You know, Corey just sort of tried to stand up and turn into it, and Lineker grabbed a hold of his neck. Man, that suck. Because, <laughs> I mean, most of the allure of this fight is the striking. So, I mean, I wouldn't be super surprised, I guess, by Mariah's going for takedowns. I think he's kind of lost the sort of, especially later in the fight, if he's um, not finished Sanhagen in a round, he might try to lat drop him again, as he has the best lat drop in the history of the sport, because he lat dropped a prime Jose Aldo. But, um,. I think the more interesting questions are more on the feet, just because I don't really think Marlon Moraes is the kind to, you know, concertedly implement his grappling. He's just, he's never done that in the UFC, past the knockdown on a sunset on the choke. Um, I think he's going to need to find success on the feet to find success on the ground. I think we've gone into Sanhagen a little bit, and I think it's worth going into Moraes, because I think the way that Cejudo beat Moraes, either way, is very, very dependent on athleticism. Because even just hanging out at range with Moraes, that's kind of the brilliance of Moraes, is that you can't hang out at range with him because he's such a genuinely effective, good kicker in a way that MMA doesn't really have. Uh, he can like kick on the counter, he can mix his levels up, he has a very, very, very quick switch kick. Uh, and hanging out at range with him, that just doesn't make much sense unless you're super durable and can wait for him to exhaust himself kicking you in the head. But Rushing the pocket means that you risk the counter punches. Marais has a very, very good left hook. He's He can do some cool outfighting things. He can pivot with his jab to stay in the open. And he's, in general, pretty great in exchanges. So I think Sanhagen's options are to, A, eat that counter and just keep the exchange going and make Marais not want to be there for very long. Uh, but that takes some durability. And B, it's to hang out of range until Marais exhausts himself, which probably means eating some kicks, and that takes some durability. So, I mean, either way, if if the route to beating Marais is him not doing the things that he does, then Sanhagen is going to need to be able to take that. That's something that's hard to gauge. I mean, Sanhagen looks stupidly durable. He looked very, very durable against uh, even Osun Sao's counters, where he just didn't really care, and against John Lineker, where Lineker uh, hit him very, very hard in the body numerous times. And he just didn't sell it, and in the head numerous times, and he didn't sell it. So, I mean, it's a theoretically viable way to approach it. It's just not a safe or necessarily replicable one. So, if Sanhagen can't solve what Moraes does at the beginning, it's going to be a rough fight, win or lose. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of feeling that way. I don't know. Like, I like Sanhagen, but I've I've always had approached him with a degree of skepticism. Like, I still... I still have that. Um, and again, he's really he's really young in his career, but it's the sort of skepticism you get when a prospect is sort of shoots through the rankings against opponents that, you know, are, are indicative of their ceiling, but like, you know, it's not like it's not like Sanhagen over John Lineker. I mean, there's a serious argument that Lineker won that fight, and by the end of the fight it was Sanhagen who was pretty pretty badly beaten up by, you know, and was had a choke sunk in. <laughs> I think San, the way Sanhagen gets his reads is a pretty dangerous one, um, in the sense that he'll he'll generally use like you know he'll switch switch hit and use either jab, just sort of wait uh, and try to try to get some some information. He'll use it to gauge distance. It's nice when he has opponents who are sort of you know plotting for him forward at him, kind of like a, a Lineker or. Um, or in a Sun Tzu. I don't know how well it works against, you know, a really concerted pressure fighter, but against pretty limited, uh, or, you know, or at least, like, slower-paced fighters who tend to just try to walk him down. Uh, the jab is a nice tool, but he does have a bit of, like, the the tall man defense. You know what I mean? Like, it is kind of his range finder. But... Yeah, like the lean back and stuff, yeah. Yeah, but it's also not that hard to crack open because you know if you can force if you can force Sanhagen in one direction, cut him off, and then you know attack the other side, 
you can catch him out pretty pretty easily. The thing is, Marais is more of just kind of a mid-range fencer. I guess I'm I am seeing you know in the sort of vision in my head I can see Corey Sanhagen trying to push him back. Um, and might even be able to do it, but he's. I guess when I said the grapple, the thing that came to mind with the grappling is just like if you know if Sanhagen gets knocked down for some reason, or he you know, gets his leg kicked out, like he does have Morais's top game to you know to worry about, right? Um, and potentially yeah. back take. That's I think that's a that's a viable risk. Yeah, I'm not sure. I really don't know how I feel about this one because I think that I think that Marlon Morais is. Uh, he kind of just is who he is if he can't get an early finish. I don't even necessarily think it's just a first round finish, but he can't get an early finish. He might struggle to really, you know, make his offense count late in the fight. I think Sanhagen is probably a safer bet over five rounds. I just have questions about Corey Sanhagen. It's not even necessarily concerns. I just, um, I just have some questions about like what kind of fighter he's going to be. And, you know, this is, this is a very UFC way, kind of like baptism by fire, right? You know, you, you have to answer them on the fly. Uh, I know he can push a solid pace. I don't know if he can keep the pace. Because, like as I said, in the end of the third round against Lineker, it was Lineker who hit him with a really mean flurry and almost choked him out in, like, the last 20 seconds. I know Sanhagen can jab well and get reads and has good eyes and exchanges i don't know if he can get those reads safely or if he can you know push that pace without tiring himself out i don't know if he can i mean like how many of these performances is he going to just be sort of spending spending durability because he doesn't have any other way to fight beyond just sort of pushing exchanges over and over and over again you know if we look back at like um, I, I keep referring to the TJ Dillashaw. He really does seem like a, a at least some kind of a decent comparison. Um, Dillashaw had uh, a long stretch in his career where he was actually fighting slightly lesser competition, and it was actually good for him. Um, he had some early finishes and so forth. And then it was really, you know, it was the Asuncao fight that was the a toughie for him. At least he had the John Dodson knockout. And then he sort of got into his, his championship phase. But um, he had a longer stretch of building up some confidence and figuring out who he was as a fighter before he had to start putting his chin on the line. And as we know, with TJ Dillashaw, he did that a lot more than you know people gave him credit for. Uh, like, he really... You know, defense was not his strongest suit. It was there was there was craft, there was awareness, but there wasn't a lot of depth. So I'm I'm not sure. I feel like it, I feel like we need to make picks because I I don't really I don't really have a strong read on the, how this fight's gonna go. Other than I think Sandhagen's probably gonna try to push a pace, and I think that Marais's leg kicks and counters in the pocket could be very troublesome for him early. It's sort of just a question of how you know. How does that work? Does it like can can Morais finish Sanhagen without exhausting himself, or at least hurt him? You know, hurt him or make him tentatively tentative enough that uh, he can avoid you know exhausting himself. That he can probably just work up some attritional damage and limit Sanhagen's mobility. What are you thinking? Uh, I think so. We've mostly talked about like Sanhagen's kind of strengths and weaknesses here, and I think we've kind of landed a lot on you know Sanhagen being an effective but sort of flawed fighter. But I think I'm gonna go with the the youth pick here. I mean, it it works for you pretty much all the time, and uh, it it even worked for me for a Figueredo Benavidez one. So the way that Sanhagen fights, he exposes himself to a lot of danger. But I'm also not sure how much danger Marais poses after that Aldo fight, because I mean Aldo looked very good, right? And Aldo, but Aldo was also pressuring constantly and Moraes got like a kickoff he got one very very good kickoff but after that he was kind of just uh, boxing with Aldo conceding these longer exchanges off the cross counters it was an ugly fight for Moraes and that was the last time we saw him so I'm gonna say uh, Sandy comes forward pressuring Moraes probably isn't gonna take advantage of Sandy being able to like get run back to the fence 
Uh, Sandy probably is going to take advantage of Mariah's being on a hair trigger on the counter. He's going to faint a lot. He's going to jab a lot. I think that's going to be something that happens. And I think Mariah's is going to wither away from that pace eventually. Um, and I think Sandy's durable enough where it's going to take a sustained campaign for Mariah to beat him or slow him down rather than, you know, Sandy runs into a left hook and is like, oh, no, I should never, ever do this again. Uh, I don't think that's how Sandy works for better or worse. I mean, if it were a more consistent counterpuncher, uh, or like if it were prime Marias, who I could say does not gas as badly, I would be like, oh, Sandy walks into left hooks over and over and over and over and over, and he eventually loses because of it. This time, I kind of get the sense that Sandy walks into a left hook over and over, and then Marias stops throwing left hooks because he's tired now, and it took him so much work to find the timing on those two left hooks that like he doesn't really want to do it anymore. And eventually, you know, Sandy just uh, figures the left hook out like he did uh, Awesome Sal's left hand. I think Marais is, he's probably a better fighter in the beginning of the fight. He's like, you know, he's less flashy and fainty, but he's probably a better put together fighter at this stage in his career. But Sandy has more upside, and I think I'm going to go with a Sandy round four TKO. I'll go with. That sounds, that sounds sensible. There's just there's just been too much vulnerability in Corey Sanhagen. I I feel like there are there are fighters in this division who I'd pick to defuse Marais safely, and there are fighters with a lot more depth in their game than Corey Sanhagen. Again, it just it sort of feels like every time I'm picking a Corey Sanhagen fight, I have to pick him to go to war with someone. He hasn't really fought anyone who can keep a pace with him. I and mean, the only one who really probably could was Aljamain Sterling, who basically just walked him in the fence and then choked him out very quickly because Sanhagen's takedown defense is pretty pretty bad and he always gives up his back and wants to scramble. I guess I'll take Marais. You know? It sounds it sounds weird. I get I I would be I would be impressed if he could get a first round finish of course Sanhagen. That would be a very an impressive Feet, considering Sanhagen's youth and what seems to be his upside, but he's he struggled so much with you know like a a fairly limited counterpuncher in John Dodson. I feel like a more technical nuts and bolts kickboxer who's you know a really good kicker. He's probably not going to let Sanhagen get very far with the kicking. And Sanhagen, who I don't think I'm going to presume he's not really much of a clinch fighter, is he? I don't know. I guess I can see him. I guess I can see Sanhagen replicating something that, you know, something to the effect of what Aldo did. But yeah, I've always, I've just always been a bit of a skeptic about Corey Sanhagen. I just can't. I don't feel like I really trust him yet. He needs to show me that he can, he can fight safer than he has before I can pick him against someone who can jab with him, someone who can, you know, will check hook on the way in someone who will kick his legs and someone who can is a extremely dynamic finishing threat pretty much anywhere i mean there is a i honestly feel i know we always talk about like the taking a beating and coming back is a bad pick i actually feel like there's a good chance that sanhagen does that my problem is i just i don't know how much i really want how, how much do i really want a young developing prospect to be to be taking those kinds of beating beatings against Marlon Marais before mounting a comeback. You know what I mean? I would much rather have him start slower because I mean, that's the, the, the parallel I'm thinking of is like, how would Peter Jan do against Marlon Marais? And I think Peter Jan would smoke Marlon Marais because I think Peter Jan has the sense and the depth to sort of faint Marais out early, play it safe in the, in the, you know, beginning rounds and then gradually ramp up his pace. Um, and he can all, you know, Jan is also a voracious clinch threat. I don't know if Sanhagen's really gotten that lesson yet. I don't know if he's quite seasoned enough. Yeah, I'm starting to think you might be right. But <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. I just don't really have a, I don't have a whole lot of faith in Sanhagen's ability to fight these safe fights just yet. I know it, it's a really hard division. I get it. Like, kind of seems like he's just always going to be. He, there's always like one moment in a Corey Sanhagen fight where he kind of has to grit through a bad position. I, yeah, I that makes know. sense. I mean, I it's like... and, and like I said, it led to a really bad thing against Aljamain Sterling, who just completely took him, you know, 
right from the get-go, keyed in on that weakness and then just choked him unconscious. Like, the opportunities are there. Yeah, even as polished as Sanhagen is compared to, like, where he should be in his career, I think it's like you have a guy who has more than an actual sort of game. He has, like, a lot of very, very good pieces to it that he hasn't put together in the way that you might want to see yet. So, like... He has, you know, I need to faint a lot, and I need to hit the body, and I need to jab, and he has all that very, very down. But beyond that, it's kind of tough to see, like, you know, any sort of defensive depth or even, like, you know, he, he's been able to fight pretty much the same way a bunch of times. So I think yeah. I, I kind of see what you mean about that. Uh, it's just, I think it's a general rule of thumb, I think, that I, I'm generally more willing to trust a prospect to change in an upward direction than I am to, like, see someone look worse than they ever have and then not do that. The trajectory from Arise from here is always going to be down. Even if he looks exactly the same as he did, it's going to be down from there. It's never going to be up because he's just not in that point in his career. Where Sanhagen, I think he can go up from here. There's a lot of stuff that he can work on that isn't just like, oh, get better at this. It's more structure a camp around this and think about this kind of thing more, which I think, I think he has the skills to put together a game that would trouble Morais badly, just, you know, get him swinging at air a lot or, you know, gassing himself out, even with a couple big lands. It's just both directions have some serious doubts here. Yep. Tomorrow Morais, Corey Sanhagen. I think, who's the favorite? Because I feel like there's actually probably some sense to betting on Corey Sanhagen here. Sanhagen's like uh, a minus 140. So. So wait, Sanhagen's the favorite? Yeah, I, put, I already put two units on Marais. <laughs> wow, people are really people are really putting a lot of stock in the Cejudo fight. I guess that's fine. Um, but he's really he's really the favorite? Oh, that sounds weird. Anyway, I don't understand I betting. It to tighten up. Oh. Yeah, it might tighten up a bit. I feel like uh, everything you're saying makes sense to me. It makes all the sense in the world, frankly, but I'm just, I've just, I've always been a skeptic of Corey Sanhagen, and I feel like it might take a pretty, you know, not just the, you know, not just the the Aljamain Sterling choking him out. It might take him actually getting a bit of a beating before he starts to understand like what he needs to do to change. And it's, you know, it took. It was after the, I think for TJ, it was after the the Cruz loss, which wasn't like a brutal beating, but he he definitely took that loss and made some changes late in his career. The opportunities were still there. Um, so, yeah. It'll be fun, though. Whatever happens. Even if it's like a 30-second Marlon Marais head kick, it'll, you know, these guys are fun to watch. So, don't miss it. Yeah, Alright, I think that is good for our uh, main event discussion. Now, we are going to talk about something that we are very looking forward to, kind of. Uh, uh, BJ Penn. We have our uh, patron request from Dan, our friend Dan DeMarco. BJ Penn. There is perhaps no other fighter in MMA history harder to assess and grade his career. Parentheses. Or is there? So where does he fit into the MMA history? A true MMA great, a lightweight great who wasted time in other divisions, a pioneer who gets more credit than he deserves, maybe less. What should BJ Penn's legacy truthfully be for who he was as a fighter and who he was for MMA? Um, what do you think of BJ Penn's firm? Uh, so first of all, on the there's no one harder to assess. You've clearly never heard of Michael Johnson, but uh, um, beyond that, I think I think Penn was very much a product of his time, and that's kind of the kind way that I kind of put very very limited, but in a field of more limited fighters. Like in general, if I say that, it's just uh, BJ Penn was good. He was very good at certain things, but I also think that a lot of what he looked good at, like takedown defense and even the guard was inflated a bit by facing competition who just didn't know how to deal with things as a function of the metagame. Uh, as an offensive boxer, for example, he was also very good, but if you point to the number of boxers he faced that were like defensively solid, you'd be like, there aren't that many, if any at all. So I think BJ Penn was very good, and I think you could reasonably consider him an all-time great. You would definitely, definitely consider him a lightweight great. But I also think that he's kind of closer to like a Matt Hughes his game ages very, very badly, and if he showed up in the division right now, he'd get completely trashed than a uh, than a George St. Pierre or a Jose Aldo in his prime type thing. 
Um, it's just he's good, but it's he's as as Dan mentioned, tough to gauge. So the the thing with BJ is that he was for people who don't really remember him. Um, his his shtick was that he was always sort of the fighter's fighter. You know, he was the prodigy. He won like uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu World Championships after like two or three years of training. Um, he just had a natural acclimation for uh, for grappling and for you know for balance and proprioception. Um, like it just he he just had a feel for fighting. Um. And, you know, he was always a fighter's fighter. He went up as high as middleweight, I think. Yeah, was it middle Cheetah, or open so weight? Sorry. Weight, pretty sure. Okay, so as high as 191 against Lyoto Machida, who was a light heavyweight. And as low, he went as low as featherweight, um, I believe, against Frankie Edgar. And did he fight anybody else? No. Rodriguez. Oh, Jair. Oh, good. That's right. Of course. That was a good fight, wasn't it? How could I forget? Um. So he... He got this reputation of just being, you know, being the guy, like he being the fighter's fighter. He would fight anyone, anywhere. It didn't matter the division. Um, he won the welterweight belt, won the lightweight belt. Uh, and that was kind of, you know, he didn't he didn't care, you know, forget a record, forget um, the politics behind it, forget protecting, you know, protecting an undefeated record or anything like that. He just wanted to fight. The problem is he did not have... This is probably going to sound a little slanderous, but it's true. He really didn't have any heart. It's it's crazy, but it's true. If BJ Penn lost the first round of a fight, he I don't think he ever won that fight. BJ Penn, he could he could absolutely he could never come back from anything. Um, people who know BJ Penn, did you know that he like lost a decision early in his career to Jens Pulver? Um, like it's he's it was weird. He just could not. It was almost like a just sort of a psychological episode where he just would see that a guy wanted it more than him, and there was a kind of passive, you know, frustration where he just sort of almost roll his eyes and be like, "All right, whatever." <laughs> like, you know. I get you know I I can I guess I'll take the loss this time I'll you know I'll try better next time. He was a very dynamic fighter. He's, again, he was a great grappler. He would always go for the the rear naked choke. That was kind of his thing. Um, he had heavy hands. He had a granite chin. Um, but he was a very coldly reactive fighter. He was not a very you know and that's in some ways that's part of the reason that. GSP, you know, around this sort of, you know, even in when MMA was at its infancy, part of the reason GSP was a great fighter from the beginning was that he just had a lot of initiative. Um, he knew how to take the fight where he wanted it. He knew how to control and dictate exchanges. Um, Penn was a lot more of a pro. That's probably why GSP's comeback actually turned out a lot. People still apply to look like a relic because he just was really passive in fights he wouldn't do a lot until <laughs> he you know he wouldn't he wouldn't do very much until opponents kind of pushed him yeah you know, and that makes evaluating bj penn tricky because you know he he still defended uh defended the lightweight championship three times which is the most that that title has ever been defended but come on it was against like Sean Shirk, Kenny Florian, and Diego Sanchez. I mean, we're not talking about the greatest opposition here. And it was the Diego Sanchez fight that was the weirdest because Diego landed like four strikes the entire time. BJ didn't get a scratch on him and just kind of... But it was also the sort of thing where you could look at that fight and I think Penn probably could have wiped Diego out anytime he wanted to. And he just didn't. Um, so he's a, he's a strange one, um, because pretty much every good stretch of his career is marred by, by a loss. Uh, there's always something that sort of detracts, you know, you know, during his stint in K1, he had that weird loss to Lyoto Machida, you know, maybe people don't really put too much stock in it or whatever. 
Um, he had his his lightweight stint where you know he beat Jens Pulver, Joe Stevenson, uh, Sean Shirk, and then he lost to GSP in probably my favorite GSP performance ever. And then you know he went back to lightweight. I mean, I'll I'll be completely honest. Where do I think he stands in you know in MMA history? I think you can give him full credit as a pioneer. I would not ever recognize BJ Penn as one of the better fighters in the sports history, um, because he just uh, he just wasn't. You know, it put some of it. Some of it had to do with with you know his his technique as a fighter. Um, you know, he really just loved to let guys hang on to the single leg and would just sort of bounce around on one leg. But he wasn't fighting grips or framing. It wasn't a very like it wasn't a style of takedown defense that was going to age particularly well. <laughs> Again, his boxing was very passive. He was a decent you know, he, he was a decent fencer, but he was very coldly reactive. I don't think anyone who had any sort of semblance of footwork and a good jab couldn't have just taken him apart. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the source of where the whole BJ Penn is just, he's a prodigy, but he's like super lazy and doesn't train thing comes from. Like, it might have been true, but a lot of it is just like his constitution as a fighter wasn't particularly great. Uh, I mean, he had like a ton of great attributes, as you mentioned. He could he could hit and he could take a hit, but in terms of the cardio, that wasn't amazing, and it, that's where a lot of that came from. And he didn't really do great at coming back from fights, and I think the kind of passivity there is why you see his recent losses I mean, recent it goes back to 2011 but um, why you see his the losses that are more recent than his last win uh they tend to be like even the yaya rodriguez fight was a blowout and the hall fight was a blowout but you still see guys like guida and siever just like kind of taking him to these really dull awful decisions because Penn, even now he doesn't really do that much and even then he didn't do that much. And what that means is that like, as he's declined, that's just gotten worse while he's still reasonably like, he's not super chinny. He's just willing to let a fight slip away from him on volume. And he's willing to like, let someone like Clay Guida just kind of bullshit him out of rounds. Like not even really bullshit, but just like volume him out of rounds where he's just going to be like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. So I don't see him as an all time good in the way that I'd see many of the all time greats. But I think there's a place for him just in terms of, you know, he did what he could with the competition that he had in a field that was dominated by a genuine all-time good, all-time great in George St. Pierre. Like, he's a good win for GSP, but I wouldn't say he's a great win for GSP. Uh, it's just, he didn't age as well as I think a lot of the all-time greats did. And even if you, if you put him into the current lightweight division, like, I don't, I really don't think he'd be top 15. Someone like Hanato Moikano would make him look really, 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 really bad. I think that's something we'd have, that we haven't mentioned yet. He had absolutely no kick defense. If someone kicked him, he'd be like, what the hell is this? Why did you do that? Is this legal? So that's another thing that I think uh, pretty firmly puts him into a specific period of time where people didn't kick that much. And if they did, they had no systems around it. That's just like... The things that he did well, they were pretty limited in scope, and the things that he didn't do well, he just didn't do at all. So he's he's pretty much where if you look at that era, you could see a couple fighters who are like, okay, these guys are like really good and they're going to age well. Pan is kind of just the epitome of this guy. Like if you go back in time, you can find a bunch of guys who are like Penn but worse at it, where what they do isn't really that good, but Penn did it the best out of those people. Uh, I don't know if that makes much sense, but, like, he's... We, we've said it twice already. He's a product of his time. And all-time greats don't really tend to be that as keenly and as specifically as BJ Penn was. I think I should mention something about how much he moved around in weight because it's, it's, it's relevant to his profile as a fighter. I know that was part of the reason people really liked BJ all those years is because he was just like, you know, oh... You know, I'll, I'll fight, I'll fight Machida at middleweight. Fuck it, you know, or I'll fight, I'll go down to to featherweight. I'll fight at lightweight. You want to take a, do you want to take a title shot at welterweight, BJ? Hell yeah, let's move up. There is a problem with that, and it's a pretty obvious one. Um, your body's not meant to do that. <laughs> it's a really bad thing. Like, do you really? you really shouldn't 
be doing that to your body. You should not be like boomeranging around and wait before deciding to settle in your, you know, mid thirties. Like there's a reason that when guys move up in weight, it generally takes a little bit of time for them to settle. You know, that's, that's probably part of the reason that Penn's his slow decline was just so magnified because he had spent his entire career just yo-yoing his body in terms of weight. And then he's like, all right, I've got it. Now I'll settle. Uh, you just can't do that. Um, that's probably part of the reason why his cardio was a weakness because he would just exhaust himself and he probably was, was cutting and putting on so much weight. There's a reason you don't see people doing that nowadays. Even in people who kind of move in between divisions, it's generally like we, we see it less and less and it's usually they find a division then they ultimately, it's usually the, the heavier one, they usually just find a division and stick to it. I'm thinking about Kelvin Gastelum who kind of flitted between um, welterweight and middleweight for a portion of his career. And then he just moved up to middleweight and was like, yep, I'm good. I'll just, you know, I'll just stay here. My body's settled out. I don't want to make, keep making the cut. Um, I don't know how much of that had to do with laziness with Kelvin. I guess that's up for debate. But still, the point stands. Um, you should not be jumping between two, let alone four different weight classes. Uh, it's just not, there's just no sense to it. Um, yeah, I've never really rated Penn that highly, if I'm being completely honest. And I don't think I ever really will. I've, I know some people who, you know, are a little older than I am, probably hacks, just <laughs> love BJ Penn. And he was one of their favorite fighters. BJ's legal troubles as of late have been incredibly disturbing, as has his insistence on continuing to fight, even when it's clear that he can't do anything. Um... Like just just past the point of it being making any sort of sense at all, gotten kind of disturbing to watch him just sort of quietly losing <laughs> fights. Um, some of them could be excused a little bit, you know, like the Nick Nick Diaz versus BJ Penn is a really fun fight. Um, even the Rory Mack fight eight years ago made some sense. The John Fitch fight wasn't too bad, from what I remember. There's some some interesting grappling things in there, but uh. No, that's those are many years ago. Like, you know, if you he's been on a losing streak for the better part of a decade, uh, and it's just gotten really weird. So, uh, yeah, I I think BJ Penn can be admired as in terms of his contributions to the sport. I would recommend that people admire him as a pioneer of the sport. There's not a lot in BJ Penn that I would recommend fighters try to model themselves after. Um, yeah. I mean, that sounds I, good to me. I don't. I that's I. I don't. I've never really thought that highly of BJ Penn before. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with BJ Penn's losing streak is it's kind of gone past the point of being sad, and now it's just like a thing that happens. Because, like, I think the one that I'd like to. Con contrasted to is like Henan Borau, right? Because you can see with Henan Borau, he's not very good anymore, but you can tell how hard he's like trying to win some of these fights. Like the Luke Sanders fight where he had a genuinely great round one where he's like, yes, I've thought about this stuff. I want to win. And then he actually gassed. And you look at Andre Ewell where he's like, oh yes, I want to win this fight. And then he gassed. But with BJ Penn, it just always kind of seems like he's coming in for no good reason. So, like, he's just kind of plodding around, doing nothing for a good bit. And then sometimes he's like, okay, I guess I can do this. And then he does it, and it doesn't work. And he's like, okay, well, I guess the other guy can just win. It's like his prime, but even worse. And that's something that you see with a lot of shot fighters. But BJ Penn is like, if Robbie Lawler's current I don't want to do anything got taken to, like, 3 million percent. So, at this point, I mean, the UFC, they might have already made efforts to push BJ Penn into retirement. But even if they haven't, I just don't find myself caring too much about BJ Penn, like, continuing to fight. It's just, you know, another loss on a record that, like, doesn't really matter. Like, that's the thing. Even earlier in his career, his record was of, oh, this BJ Penn's very good. And at this point, his record is equally irrelevant just for completely different reasons. So, um, yeah, I'd say the same. I think BJ Penn is, like, he's important to the sport from a historical perspective but he's not very important in terms of a skill development perspective even as important as fighters like uh, i don't know uh, frankie edgar is one that came up around the same time and like actually innovated things 
where BJ Penn just kind of, he, he existed in that metagame and only in that metagame. So you can look at him as like someone who existed before, but I'm not even sure he was like a real pioneer in terms of any concrete sense where he came up with something. It's, he was kind of just an all-rounder who could do some things better than he did other things and better than other people did those things. Uh, it's just, he was a fighter, a very good fighter, but at, at the very best, he was just a fighter. That sounds like the name of his autobiography. That would fit, I think. That makes some I mean, sense. Why don't you get that. on that? Yeah, I think I'm good. That that pretty much settles it for me. I, the, the thing is, I really I don't ever have much desire to go back and watch BJ Penn fight. The only fight of BJ Penn that I really enjoy is his fight with GSP, and it's because GSP puts on probably my favorite performance of his career. Um, it's a really good performance. You should go watch it. Uh, George does a lot of cool things in that fight. BJ mostly just gets held up against the fence, taken down, and beaten up. Just a fighter sounds right to me, you know. And as time has gone on, I really think that there's a reason that people still remember guys like George and, and Anderson to some degree favorably. And uh, Penn's more or less kind of eroded all the goodwill that he's built up with fans. So I think that'll do it. Thank you for joining us this week on the Fight Sites MMA podcast. We will be back. Will we be back next week? What's next week? next week it's ortega uh, zombie so that's actually not bad Ooh, that's a fun fight that's a really too fun bad it fight. isn't happening <laughs> yeah this fight has kind of been cursed hasn't it how close yeah. are we oh we're like two we're like two weeks away from gaichi khabib well that's very good okay yeah that's yeah great okay yeah, um, not nearly as bad as last month yeah it was a nightmare I think I'm, yeah, I think I'm good on this end. Thank you guys for joining us. Please check out Hyperfly. You can go to the link at the banner uh, on thefightsite.com. At the very bottom, you can get a discount, I think. I think just uh, some of the money Bovada. comes the, Yeah, it helps us out. Bovada, you can get a $250 uh, free bonus for signing. So when you really want to make that, make your millions gambling. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably be coming out with one of those videos soon enough if um, if the cards decent i mean at the very least i guess this is a sneak peek marlon Moraes at plus is probably a good bet uh, the rest of the card is kind of nothing but still go to go to bovada and get your money um and what else what other sponsors do we have i don't know i don't know someone's watched power washing my windows so i need to wrap this up really quickly it's about <laughs> to get loud my apologies folks all right uh, we'll, we'll see everyone later uh, stay safe <laughs> <laughs>